You're listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. This week's message is preached by Pastor Scott McGrady. If you would take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll be looking this morning at verses 8 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. And then just so you know, too, next week, Nate will be picking up the text there in verse 13, and, and he'll carry that through in my absence, so grateful for that. But right now, again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. As we think of the world around us and, and how the world functions and, and the natural workings of the world, there are there are laws in place in nature that, that cause nature as God has designed it to be organized and, and to work together and, and to things to come about in, in the ways that God has planned for things to work in nature. And so there are laws of nature, right? And in those, we can think of, for example, the laws of physics, right? And, and within the laws of physics, we have what is called Newton's third law of motion, which says, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction, right? And, and so, for instance, you can, I can push against the, this pulpit here, and, and the pushing on this pulpit, there is a, a pushback, in a sense. Uh, there, is, there is a force uh, against, and so there is a reaction to it. Now, I did run this illustration, this, this uh, introduction past Suzanne. She said it was okay. She said it was kind of hokey, but it's okay, so... Uh, I kept it. <laughs> there are also natural workings in ourselves and how we react naturally to things. That there is a reaction in us that when we are pushed against, there, there may be a, a reaction against that ourselves. And that is our, our natural state of things. Uh, when, when someone may push against us in, in, a, in a way that they annoy us, we, we may push back and separate ourselves from them. We may, we may push back in, in seeking to show them how annoying they are by being annoying in response. And we may treat each other in a natural way. Or even out in the world, when someone is deliberately coming against us and deliberately mistreating us, we may have the response, the reaction to mistreat them, to respond in kind. And that is our natural working. How do we respond to those who push against us, either deliberately or, or, or not? There, there's a natural way that we do things. But as we've seen in 1 Peter, if we have been saved, if we have been bought by Christ, if we are uh, God's people, then we are not natural. We, we no longer live like the world around us. We live as strangers and aliens in this world. We, we are not to live that same way. So we're not to have those responses. And, and how we respond to each other as the church is vital and important that we, we stay unified together and, and we are the people that, that are God's people, as we sang. That we honor God and, and live for him and, and grow in Christ's likeness and that we have unity, that we don't divide from each other. How do we respond to one another, and how do we interact with each other? And how do we react to a world that comes against us? That comes against us because of our devotion to Christ and being part of the church together. How do we respond to those who may mistreat us? 
We're called, as we see here, not to respond in a natural way, but in a supernatural way. We're not to respond as the people we once were, but the people who've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we see that here as we look to 1 Peter. And so again, we, we set aside our, our, our study through 1 Peter here to focus on Resurrection Sunday last week. And when we were last in Peter then, we had left off in the section that began in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, where we see that believers are to live holy lives and living holy even in response to being mistreated. And so believers are to be strangers and sojourners in this world, living as strangers in a world that's hostile to us. And so we are to abstain then from passions of the flesh that war against our souls. And so to live in a way that we are keeping our conduct before unbelievers as honorable, or two, we said it could be translated as attractive, in doing so that God may use our lives to draw people to himself and save unbelievers as we proclaim the gospel, as we, we share about who Christ is and what he has done. And so then Peter from there showed different areas where believers are to keep their conduct before unbelievers as honorable, and specifically in how believers submit to authorities of unbelievers that are over them. He talked about submitting to all human institutions, and he specifically went on to talk about uh, governing authorities and household slaves submitting to their masters and wives submitting to their husbands, and specifically those wives who have unbelieving husbands, that they might win their husbands without a word, winning them to obedience to the word, obedience to the gospel. And then we saw Peter felt it necessary then to address the believing husbands within the church, how they should be with their wives. And he says that they should be living with their wives, knowing her, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of grace, of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so having gone through all of those things and the individuals within the church that Peter specifically called out in submitting to the unbelieving authority that they might be under, as we come to the passage today, we see Peter is finishing up this section, or what is a really a subsection within a larger section. And he's finishing it up, and as we see here then, he is addressing everyone in the church and telling them how they should respond to people in general, to all of our relationships, in the church and outside the church. And so we see then there in verse 8 how believers are to relate, how to respond to each other within the church, how we should relate to other believers. And then as we go into verse 9, uh, we see how believers are to relate to, I think what it's saying, how we are to relate to unbelievers who may come against us, who mistreat us. Now, that can be argued whether or not that is what he's specifically talking about here, how we as believers relate to unbelievers who mistreat us. Uh, this could be, though, more generally just saying anyone who mistreats us, whether a believer who mistreats us or an unbeliever who mistreats us. This is how we are to respond. Now, might an unbeliever, or excuse me, may a believer mistreat another believer at times? Yeah, that can happen. Sure. Uh, and, and we can know that as even we ourselves have had times where we have fallen into sin, where we have needed ourselves to repent. 
It happens, and we, we know that. And so how, how are we going to respond, whether it's a, a believer or unbeliever, that mistreats us? And then we see then Peter supports what he's teaching here in these two verses. As you come to verses 10 through 12, he supports what he's saying by quoting Psalm 34. And so we'll see that as we, we go through this passage. But let's right now then look to this passage and read with me, if you will. Again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So as we we look here at verse 8, we see it begins with, at least in the English Standard Version, the word finally. Again, this is not Peter then coming to the conclusion of his letter, but to the close of this subsection. And again, Peter, his instructions to believers has been in the idea of submitting to unbelieving authorities. And then though at this point, he again moves on to talk about how Christians should relate to people just in general. And so as we start off here with verse 8, we see that he's talking about how believers are to relate, how they are to respond to each other, how we are to respond to other believers within the church. So he says, finally, all of you, meaning all of you in the church. He just talked about all these other individuals that may be in the church, these different groups in the church, but now all of you in the church, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Again, believers sin, right? And we sin against each other. And so because of that, it's important that we work together as a church to maintain the unity within the church, that we wouldn't divide as a church, and that we would be the people that Christ has purchased with his blood. And so Peter calls for these these qualities and these attitudes to be present within us as a body that we would keep from dividing from each other, and that we would, in, in keeping the unity keep our conduct before unbelievers as honorable. So the first thing he says that we are to have here is that we are to have harmony. Or again, as the English Standard Version says, we're to have unity of mind, or literally the same thinking. Now, this does not mean then that we are to all think exactly alike, that we have to agree on every last thing. Uh, even things that are important to us, we can still disagree on. We don't have to have all the same opinions and understandings. And so we don't have to have a uniformed thinking. We can even be at such disagreement with one another that I can be convinced that the one who disagrees with me is wrong. Uh, We can have that together. Uh, That's not 
against what Peter is calling for here. And we can even wrestle with each other in the areas that we disagree with one another. As a matter of fact, I think we should. I think that together we should be challenging each other and, and talking through the areas where we disagree with one another, especially when it comes to, to doctrine and, and practices of the faith, that we should wrestle together in order to stretch each other, in order to build each other up and sharpen one another. Um, now, again, if we do that, though, it has to be done with love and charity towards one another, uh, with the goal not being that I walk away having convinced you that I'm right. That, that misses the point. Uh, but that we do build each other up and, and sharpen one another. I think it's, it's good that we talk through and wrestle with the areas that we disagree about, but we have to do it with the right attitude. And so saying here that we are to have unity of mind, again, is not that we all think alike, but what Peter is calling for here is that we maintain harmony even despite our differences. That though we may not all think alike, that we still stand together on the essential truths of God's word, holding to the Bible as the authority for us, holding each other accountable to what the Bible clearly says. And if we are practicing together and worshiping together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a church together, we need to be able to cooperate together, to be unified together. And my friends, I'll say that it is a, a deep immaturity to divide and have a, a mean spirit towards one another because we disagree. Again, there are things that we must, dis, we must agree on, that we can't just agree to disagree. Uh, so, so don't mishear me at all. We have to be able to agree on the gospel, on the person and work of Jesus Christ. We must agree on the resurrection of the dead. Uh, we must agree that there is final judgment for the unrighteous, and there is final reward for the righteous. We must agree upon the bodily return of Jesus Christ. And that's just an example of the essential truth that we must stand on and agree together, and that we cannot agree to disagree on. Yet there are things that we, we can be different in our thinking about. And yet we stand together on the truths, even in disagreement on lesser things, that together we cooperate with one another. Now, even as we've dis discussed many times at different points about uh, having a, a plurality of elders, uh, if the Lord was to bless us to have elders, Together as, as elders, I don't, I don't expect that we would always agree on everything. There would be dis, maybe disagreement at times among us, uh, but whatever the collective decision of the elders would be, I would have to submit to that, as long as, again, it wasn't going against those essential truths and the, and the clear teaching of Scripture. But otherwise, I'd have to submit to the collective decisions, even if I disagreed. And we'd have to work together to have harmony with one another, striving to be like-minded even when we didn't fully agree. And whether it's the elders leading the church or whether it's the whole church together, we need to be working towards the same goals. This is what it is to, to be like-minded, uh, to be unified in our minds, to having the same goals, not lifting up ourselves, but that we would glorify Jesus Christ by being committed to truth, being bound by what the gospel is in all of us, bringing us together, that we are unified in the gospel, 
that we are in one body with one spirit, just as we are called to one hope uh, that belongs to our call, with one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is in all and over all and through all. And so certainly, with such unity, we should lack selfishness. That selfishness that would cause us to divide. But instead, that we should be willing to take the lowly position for the sake of others. But as we are striving for unity among us, we see that we are living then as strangers in this world, because that's, that's not how the world does things. The world doesn't strive for such unity even amongst disagreements. I mean, just get two people in the room with opposite political opinions on things, and we see how well they strive for unity. No, but being strangers in this world, we do strive for such unity even when we don't fully agree that we would be together, like-minded, having the mind of Christ, having the concerns that God has revealed he has through his word. Which, again, takes us, then, being in the word regularly, right? Together as the church and as individuals on our own. We, we need to be striving to know the word. Next, then, Peter calls for us to have sympathy. We are to be understanding the word literally is to feel the same thing. Uh, we recognize the needs that others have, and we, we put ourselves in their shoes. We enter into their joy. We enter into their sorrow. We enter into their concerns. And we have sympathy not to manipulate, uh, not to gain something for ourselves, or, or for us to, to look good, or, or to come out on top in some way but we are sympathetic for the sake of the other person. To have genuine concern and love for others. And so we can rejoice with them when they rejoice, and we can hurt with them when they hurt. You know, we've discussed, uh, specifically in Sunday school, but at different times we've discussed our, our need to serve each other and our need to uh, be open and honest with each other, um, to be transparent. But in cultivating a community that is honest and open with one another, that, that goes to one another when we have need, uh, to cultivate that, we have to have the attitude and willingness in the church to do our part to see that attitude grow among us. That we would make ourselves available to each other and available in such a way that when someone comes to us, they know that, that we'll be sympathetic. And we could, I guess, look at the church and, and still see the need that we have to grow in this area. But one, no matter how well we do or, or don't do in this area, I don't know any church that doesn't need to grow in this. Um, and so saying that we need to grow in this area is kind of like you coming to me and saying, you know what, Scott, you, you really need to grow in your prayer life. <laughs> Well, yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Uh, we all need to grow in our prayer life, right? The, no matter how well we are doing or not doing, we still all need to grow. And yet at the same time, the fact that we all have the need to grow does not excuse us being content with where we are. 
That whether in our prayer life or whether in this need to, to cultivate a community of, of openness and, and help for one another and transparency with one another, we should be pressing ourselves and each other to grow in this area. But instead of, of looking around and, and just making note of the idea that we need to grow, we need to do our part to see that growth happens. And part of me doing my part is showing that I am sympathetic, that I show in my attitudes and in my interactions uh, that I do not look down on others as if I'm higher up, as if I'm more lofty and better, that I show that I don't think of myself more highly than I ought, but I recognize I am just as much in need of grace as the next person that I am just as much in need of growth and the Lord working in my life, and I'm in just as much in need of you in my life as you are of me and each other. That we recognize we're, we're all on the same playing ground. We're still on the same field. We're on level ground with each other here in need of grace. That I know that I can confess my sin. I, I know that I can uh, come... Uh, because I need to grow in my knowledge and application of Scripture and in my attitude and my thinking to, to grow in Christ-likeness. And so that we understand that with each other, that when I come to express my struggles and confess my sin, that what I'm going to get is sympathy because I'm going to get help when I'm coming because I hate my sin. When I'm coming in repentance to say, I'm struggling to do away with my sin. I need help. Help me to have um, accountability and point me to the Lord, that we are there for each other in that way because we can sympathize with each other and love each other in that, knowing we all need to grow in our conformity and Christ-likeness. And we all need this. There can be a temptation to isolate ourselves, a temptation to, to just do it on our own, to not trust one another, but we, we can't survive. I can't survive that way. I need to be able to come and confess my sin and my struggles and my need to grow and find sympathy. And so do you. We all do. So let us all do our part, all of us, that we would be the church together as God's word commands us to be. You know, recently we talked in Sunday school about each one doing their part so the body would build itself up in love. I think this is part of that. That each one of us knows that we have genuine love and concern for each other, so much so that we're willing to enter into each other's struggle with one another and have sympathy together. And then when we do that, <laughs> to a, a watching world on the outside looking in, you know, what kind of testimony is that? To the world because the world lacks such sympathy and the very next thing we see then is that we are to have brotherly or family love towards each other we've already seen this call to brotherly love in first peter we saw in chapter 1 verse 22 and there we saw that such love for one another is actually a result of our salvation 
There, Peter told his readers that they have purified their souls, having been made new by the obedience to the truth of the gospel, their repentance and faith. And in that newness, they were to have a sincere brotherly love. And so then he commanded them, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again. This family love is a result of having been saved. Yeah, that's why we see in 1 John that loving the brothers, loving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ is a test of genuine saving faith. Because saving faith results in loving those whom God loves. It results in us together being made part of the family of God. That we're brothers and sisters in Christ, adopted in Christ together. And so we're a family that should care for each other as a family. Be there for each other as a family. We're to be sincere in putting the interest of others ahead of our own. Recognizing how we're to relate to each other. That we're family, not biologically, but we're in the family of faith together. And so love each other. Love each other even through our shortcomings. Serve each other. Be there for one another. Even as we may still sin against each other, as we continue to repent and extend forgiveness and care for each other, again, we're a testimony to the world then. We keep our conduct before the world as honorable. I think that's what part of what we see and what Jesus tells the 12 disciples on the night before he was crucified. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, we read, A new command I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Having this love for each other, a love that's unlike the world, that, that we're loving each other like Christ loved us, it demonstrates to the world that we truly belong to Jesus, that we're truly his. And in that, hopefully, we gain an opportunity to tell them about Jesus and that he would use our lives, use our conduct before them to lead them to himself, that they would be saved. And then as we see, along with harmony, sympathy, and brotherly love, we're to be tender-hearted towards one another. Uh, the Greek word there actually refers to the inner organs, to the intestines or the bowels. Uh, because that was where it was understood the seat of emotions were. And so talking about the bowels is a lot like us talking about our hearts. You know, I love you with all my heart. Well, it's kind of the same idea there. And so talking about a, a, a deep and strong affection for one another. So then talking about something that's related to our feelings, uh, I don't want to sound like a broken record, because I know I've said this often over the last I don't know how long. But I think, especially in our day, it's something we do need to make sure we get across uh, because our culture tells us something so different. And, and sometimes even in, depending on what our background is and even sometimes our church background, uh, we can have a skewed understanding of this. And that is the fact that we do not have to be led by our feelings, by our emotions. Matter of fact, if we have been truly born again, if the Holy Spirit indwells us and is changing us from the inside out, then we 
should not be, we must not be led by our emotions and our feelings, but instead we are to lead our emotions, lead our feelings. And that's so important for us to get and understand. And otherwise, we would have to ask, how can Scripture tell us how to feel? How can Scripture tell us that we're to have affection for one another? I can't help how I feel towards one person or another. Well, no, you can. Don't be led by your feelings. Lead your feelings. Lead your feelings by informing yourself of the truth of what Christ has done. And by what he has done, he has made us a family together. And we're in this this working uh, as the church together, responsible for each other like a family is. And therefore, we are to have great affection for one another as we we work to cultivate this affection. I'm not saying that it comes naturally. Again, we have to lead our emotions, lead our feelings. And part of the way we do that, that as we recognize who we are together, what Christ has made us together, we therefore live with each other in such a way. We invest in each other. We get to know each other. We serve each other. We love each other. We love those and serve those, even those who may rub us the wrong way. Even those who may get up our nose from time to time. You know, so often we think, I don't know why, I feel like we should learn, especially when we get to a certain age and we've had so much experience, we should learn this isn't the case. But we still tend to think that our relationships should all just come easy, right? You know, when you first get engaged and you're thinking, oh, marriage is going to be great and we have this romantic view and understanding of marriage and we think it's just going to be so smooth and we think of what great parents we're going to be too and all that. And then our friendships too. I mean, uh, everything within our friendships, we're going to always get out of our friendships and those relations what we want out of them. Our friends are never going to hurt us or annoy us or do something against us, right? I mean, that's never going to happen. Oh no, (laughs) it does happen. We get into little tiffs with our friends. Marriage isn't as smooth as we expect it to be at the beginning. And raising kids, well, you already have two sinners in the home, and now you just added a few more little sinners. It's not that easy. And really, that's what it is, that we are sinners in relationship with sinners. And therefore, we can't just think it's just going to naturally all come together. We need to work at these attitudes and and these qualities that Peter is calling for here. We need to work at our relationships with each other. Recognizing that we have been forgiven of our sin. And we've been forgiven of our sin against God, which is a greater forgiveness than we're ever going to be told to offer to somebody else. We've been redeemed. We've been born again that we're no longer who we used to be. So how much more then should we, knowing who we are now in Christ, work at our relationships, work with one another to build the relationships that God calls us to have with one another, that we would seek harmony, having sympathy and family love for one another, growing in and pursuing affection towards one another. And really, then, to do this, again, it it takes that being born again. Because to do this, we really have to have humility, which is the next thing Peter calls for. 
that we would have a, a humble mind. Humility really is the key to all of this. I need to think of myself in the right light. Because if I'm going to pursue harmony, I'm pursuing harmony potentially with people in the church that, that I'm not naturally drawn to. That maybe our, our personalities don't really click together. We don't think alike in every way. And yet, I'm supposed to be like-minded with them. We're supposed to join together with the same goals and the same pursuits that are God's concerns for us to have as the church together and, and work together and be a family together. We have to pursue that harmony, and that takes humility, especially if I disagree with you. I have to understand that more than my feeling of a need to be right I need to understand, I need to glorify Christ in our unity together. That's what we really need. It takes humility to be sympathetic. That instead of having a superior attitude and talking down to others, that we would recognize, again, that we're, we're really all on the same level in the need of God's grace. And so that we are willing to enter into each other's pain and struggle and allow someone to be transparent with us when they come to us seeking to grow and to, to put away sin or, or to change their thinking and attitudes that, that they come, that we can enter into that struggle with them and point them to Christ and point them to his word. That we would be sympathetic. And so come alongside of them to lift them up, knowing that soon we may be the one that, that needs someone to come alongside of us and lift us up. So it takes humility to struggle with each other. It takes humility to be a family together. Because sometimes we'd rather separate, right? Especially when it's someone that pushes against us with annoyance. We, we may have that natural reaction to push back, uh, to put space between us. But we have to recognize what it means to be a family together and receiving each other, even those who may rub us the wrong way. And listen, I'm not saying that when, if there's annoyances between us, that we don't address those things and talk about them. We certainly do, but a family does that, right? <laughs> and again, we do it with humility to work through those things and to build each other up. And, and then to, again, to have affection towards one another, to cultivate that in and, and giving of ourselves for one another. It all takes humility. And so then in all of these things, we see how we are to relate to one another as the church, how we are to relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we see there in verse 8. And then as we come to verse 9, again, we see how we are to relate to those, how we are to respond to those who mistreat us. Now, again, I think, as I said before, the flow of Peter's argument uh, makes a good argument to say that verse 9 is referring to those who are outside of the church who mistreat us. But again, I can't be 100% sure on that. But for sure, whether believers or unbelievers, anyone who mistreats us, this is how we should respond to them. I think it applies either way. And in responding this way to those who mistreat us, again, we are keeping our conduct before unbelievers as honorable. And so look at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil 
or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. How do you respond to those who mistreat you? Give them what they got coming to them. You let them know who they're messing with. You bring the thunder. <laughs> no, that's not what you do. That's not what this says. That would fly in the face of the humility that Peter just called for. And that would also be us then responding like the world. But we've been born again. We're not like the world. We're strangers in this world, right? We're not to seek revenge. If someone insults us, we're not to respond by insulting them. Remember what Peter has already told us in this letter about when we are unjustly treated. In chapter 2, verse 21, he said, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. When we are mistreated, we are to follow Christ's example. Christ did not retaliate. Christ did not shout threats back to those who mistreated him. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And we who have entered into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we also then can trust the one who judges justly, knowing that this one who judges is our Father. We can trust him. And when we do so, then that enables us to not respond in kind, but instead to those who mistreat us, respond by blessing them. We would be a blessing. Again, talk about keeping our conduct before an unbelieving world as honorable. That when we respond to those who mistreat us, we seek instead to bless them. When we respond to those who hate us, we want to bless them. That's a very definition of what it is to be a stranger in this world. Because the rest of the world doesn't look that way. But we who follow Christ, we must look that way. That's what we're called to. And again, we're enabled to do this as we entrust ourselves to our Father, as we entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly, that we leave all vengeance into his hands, that we know that he one day will make every wrong right. We trust that, and so then we can obey our Lord when he tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45. It says, You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. This is what our Father does. He loves those who are even his enemy. He shows them love and kindness by giving the sunshine to all, the righteous and the unrighteous, and rain to all. And we want to be like our father, right? right? Don't, don't children want to be like their parents? We just talked about that a bit in Sunday school. You know, you can go into, say, like a third grade classroom, right? And, and if you want to know there's a, a little boy, what, what his father does for a living, it's likely that all you have to do is ask him what he wants to be when he grows up. And there's a good chance you're going to find out what his father does for a living. Because most of the time, boys want to be like their father. 
And again, we, we have been adopted into the family of God, adopted as sons, as heirs, through Jesus Christ. Do we not ourselves want to be like our Father and show love to our enemies? Bless them? We also see this in Romans chapter 12, verses 19 to 21. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Bless those who mistreat you. If he's hungry, feed him, meet his need. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Paul says, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, how, how do we respond to those who mistreat us? We seek to be a blessing to them. And if we live this way, if we are consistent in this, then those who persist in mistreating us, we're going to make it harder and harder for them to continue to mistreat us as we respond by being a blessing to them. Well, he burning coals on their head. And again, verse 9 says, Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. And to what were we called? Well, saying, for to this you were called, that, that could refer back to being called to bless those who mistreat us. Or, it could be that we're called to obtain a blessing. It could be moving forward. And that's really where I, I land right now. I'll be honest, I'm not 100% which direction to go with it, but, but I'm pretty sure right now that it's, it's moving forward, that what we are called to is to obtain a blessing, and therefore we are to bless. And saying that we've been called to a blessing is therefore referring then to salvation, the blessing of our inheritance that Peter has already discussed in chapter 1, that inheritance that is kept for us by God. God has so blessed us by saving us, by reconciling us to himself in the death of Jesus Christ, that Christ took on himself the wrath we deserve so that we can know all the blessings of God, that we could become children of God. He has blessed us so much and so abundantly, we who were his enemies. And so having been so blessed, we should then turn around and bless, even bless those who mistreat us those who seek to hurt us. This is what we're called to do. We're called to follow Christ's example, called to bless those who mistreat us as we have been called to receive a blessing. And then we see Peter brings support to what he's saying as we, we come to verses 10 through 12. He supports what he's been teaching and saying in verses 8 and 9 by quoting Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. Again, that's, that's the quote that's there in verses 10 through 12. In Psalm 34, uh, King David praises God for delivering his people who experience suffering at the hands of others. And so as Peter applies this psalm to the churches there in Asia Minor, we see that the Christians are the ones who desire life and desires to see good days. 
And that even though now they may be suffering, even though now they may be going through turmoil and distress, uh, they know what God has in store for them. They know the inheritance that he has promised them. And so they can trust God will deliver them, his people, and judge the wicked who afflict them. And so those who trust in the Lord, uh, they must then keep their tongues from evil and lips from speaking deceit. Uh, The one who trusts in the Lord, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, relentlessly pursuing it, going after it with all that he has. As opposed to returning insult for insult. As opposed to paying back evil with evil. Instead, pursue peace. And then verse 12 quotes verses 15 and 16 of Psalm 34. And it tells us of God's blessing towards those who, whose lives demonstrate such righteousness. Because such a ones are trusting themselves to the Lord. Verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The Lord is always attentive to the prayers and petitions of his own people. But the Lord is against those who who do not show that they are trusting in him by remaining in their unrepentant ways. Now, none of this is to say that how we live earns salvation for us. Only Jesus saves. See, Jesus paid for our sins. He is, uh, his perfect life uh, offered on the cross as the perfect payment. He died for all of us who believe, and he rose again and is our intercessor before the throne. He is the Savior of all who turn from their sins and trust in him and in him alone. But having trusted in him, we've been born again born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the rebirth is demonstrated in how we live, in our new lives, and not living like the world around us, but responding to being mistreated by being a blessing. It demonstrates that we truly are no longer who we used to be. It demonstrates that we are no longer a natural person, but a person with the working of our God within us that we would not respond to the person who hurts us or mistreats us by looking to see that they get theirs. But instead, that we want to bless them, pray for them, as Jesus said, pray for our enemies, pray for those who persecute you, pray that they would repent and believe and be saved. Pray that God would bless their lives and use them for his glory. Pray for them, seek to meet their needs. This is what we're called to. And so, my friends, do you see yourself growing in this? Growing in in how you relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Seeking that harmony? uh, Being sympathetic and, and loving each other as a family? And having affection towards one another as we live together with a humble mind? Are you growing in your response to blessing those who mistreat you because you know God has so blessed you. Are you growing in this? We all need to grow and be there for each other to help each other grow and press each other along. 
that we would seek to be a blessing and respond to one another and respond to the world around us, the world who comes against us, respond in Christ-likeness. Keep saying, be a blessing. The, the song, make me a blessing, is in my head. Uh, if I can think of how it goes real quick. <laughs> make me a blessing, right? Um, make me a blessing. Make me a blessing, humble and meek. Lord, help me lift up those who are weak. And may the prayer of my life always be, make me a blessing. Make me a blessing to my brothers and sisters in Christ, that I would uh, seek unity and be sympathetic and look at them as my brothers and sisters and and have affection for them and, and be humble with them. Make me a blessing to them. Make me a blessing to those who mistreat me. Make me a blessing today and tomorrow. Help me to grow in this every day. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. For the complete sermon archive and more information about the church, please go to visitnbbc.com.